Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Onesto, your host. Oh man, this this show. I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I've had some awesome guests on before, and I hope I will probably have a bunch of awesome guests in the future. But I can't say awesome enough about what we're going to do today because I've been in human resources for longer than I'd like to admit, um, and I've tried every, and I mean every leadership training that's out there and a lot of times what happens with leadership training is nothing moves the needle doesn't move Um, we have uh, probably the worst engagement seen in the Gallup poll in years and yet there's a billion dollar industry that's just spending money on leadership training and so today we are going to call bullshit on leadership training very excited so let's get to it I have my two guests here Really awesome folks that are going to not only call bullshit with me, but they're going to provide a really awesome solution and a contrarian viewpoint on these things. So I have Roger Mannix and Bobby Alexis. Both are co-founders of something called Play RX. How are you guys? What's going on? Hey, hey we're hey. good. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having us. Oh, my, my pleasure. And And by the way, these are both new york guys in fact they're in new york right now which is really exciting so we're all in new york so right in the heart of east village <laughs> oh awesome and and a cool place no even even better so soho yeah. east village yeah. we're we're rocking the coolness today so cool well guys thank you so much for for being on the show i know we took a, a really awesome uh walk through uh washington square park um, to talk about this whole idea of learning and, and leadership learning and what you guys are doing. But, you know, there, there's, you know, I've been doing this for, for 20 years, and we'll get to, to your backgrounds in, in a minute, but I want to jump right into it because it's, it's definitely a topic that I want to call bullshit on. So why, you know, let's get to it. Like, what's wrong with the way leadership training is built and delivered today from your perspective and, and, you know, just announce your name when you talk. And so that folks know who's, who's on the mic here. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Roger. I'm on the mic. So, you know, when you talk about it being bullshit, you brought up a really good point in the beginning that like the needle doesn't move, nothing sticks. Cause I find, you know, over the years and what we see is that, you know, companies are just putting these band-aid solutions on something. And when we're talking about leadership training, we're talking about developing, you know, emotional intelligence, soft skills that really are required to lead, you know, things like uh, compassion, empathy, uh, vulnerability, curiosity, self-awareness, communication, collaboration. And 
what we see is like this Band-Aid solution of, first of all, one-offs. Let's go off to a retreat once a year, or uh, let's all go right. eat for drinks and have a ping pong table once a year. And even those, those one-offs, they tend to be very uh, lecturer-centric as well versus learner-centric. And, you know, I don't want to sit in a classroom with someone up at the front in a PowerPoint presentation kind of telling me how I should or shouldn't act. It's not engaging. Rarely does it alter any kind of human behavior. Uh, and also, just in terms of learning science, that it's proven that real shifts in behavior happen when you're structuring curriculum to cater to a learner-centric mentality and not lecturer-centric. So elaborate. I, I love what you talked there, and of course, I you know, I'm shamefully checking the list as you're as you're talking, going, "Yep, I've done that. Yep, I've done that." <laughs> and, and you know, I've had the PowerPoint. I've had the the person stand up. I've had the off sites. I've had all of these things. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you mean by learner centric point of view. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, totally. It's still Roger here. So listen, go with me because you're going to go down biology class uh, and we're going to talk about the brain for a little bit. Okay. All right. Wake me up in about five minutes. We're tuned, go. <laughs> we're, we're tuned in. <laughs> FYI, tuned I, failed in. My bi I failed my biology regents in ninth <laughs> grade. So the fact that I'm even talking about this is kind of hilarious. <laughs> All right. All right. So we'll let you go. When you we'll think let you go. About, when you think about emotional intelligence, okay. Uh, since 2017, 59% of talent developers are spending most of their budgets on some kind of online learning, right? 39% say that they're going to spend less uh, with on instructor-led training. Now, I want to talk about where emotional intelligence is learned. Emotional intelligence mostly comes from and is learned in the limbic system. The limbic system is where your feelings, your impulses, your drives come from. It learns best through uh, extended practice, feedback, motivation. Now, compare that to the neocortex, which is all about technical and analytical ability. That learns from, you know, reading a book. I always say, think about IKEA directions. That's how you're going to put something together. Unfortunately, most trainings that are about emotional intelligence are done through the neocortex, which is the exactly wrong place where you should be targeting any kind of shift in behavior to develop emotional intelligence. If you're going to want to train leaders to become compassionate, more emotionally intelligent, you have to incorporate the limbic system. And by that, that means you have to engage the learner through social engagement where there's feedback, participation, verbal processing, and in a social environment where they feel safe and supportive towards making mistakes and feeling inclusive. That happens mostly through experiential learning. So that's why the learner is at the center of the learning versus standardized classroom, someone at the front telling you what to do, how to do it, goodbye, go leave, do it, see you later. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It, it, and I'm, I'm Google searching both the limbic and, and the neocortex, by the way. So and no, <laughs> oh, I, I, I've done some neuroscience stuff, so I know what you're talking about. 
so so back to my point at the beginning, which is billion do- like literally a billion dollar industry that's doing what you say not to do. Why where like you're you're a guy that's uh, you know admittedly failed biology, but you've stumbled on this this secret of of how to engage EQ. Why is why are people still doing it the way they're doing it now? And then of course you know like I said in in terms of the structure of the the show, what is what is your solution for that? How do you how do you deal with the experimental type of type of training? Well, yeah, now you have Bobby here, so. Uh, back to what Roger mentioned with regards to the numbers here. And since 2017, 59% of talent developers spend most of their budgets on online learning versus the 39% say they spend less on instructor-led training. So I think a, a lot of why you find uh, talent out there uh, and what you can call bullshit on uh, gravitating towards that is the, the fact that that's where the budgets are. So organizations are putting budgets towards a system where they want online learning and, and, and rightly so, you know, they want this to scale, but the real learning has to be experiential. So, you know, I wouldn't say anything against the individuals doing their job and trying to uh, help with leadership development, but it's where the budgets are. Uh, and I think something needs to change uh, from a company culture perspective for, for us to start seeing more experiential learning. Um, you know, st- students utilizing 10% of their cognitive abilities in a classroom setting, uh, training programs and platforms in the, in the form of games can utilize up to 95% of the attention capacity, aiding in higher retention and learning efficiency. So that really points to the experiential game-focused mentality of what we try to provide. Uh, which is very different than what you find out there today, which is more, again, uh, teacher-centric. Uh, and we're talking about, hey, it's Roger, you know, we're talking about a, a kind of an age-old education philosophy that's called pragmatism. And pragmatism is all about life, uh, how we grow within life, but it has two very important elements. The first part is it, it has to be practical. The learning has got to focus on some sort of real-world application of what you're learning uh, out in, outside of the classroom, and it also has to be experiential, so you're not learning from an idea. You're actually learning from an experience. Yeah, t- totally. Uh, th- there's um, uh, one of my very first employers at a college, and I won't name them, uh, very big organization. They have a gigantic part of the, of the company that's focused on L&D and professional development, uh, and I remember the the... the <laughs> number of days and weeks we would spend in the classroom listening to somebody with a PowerPoint presentation or handing us worksheets that we never even used. Uh, right. We did that so many times. Uh, and I think that there's, there's two sides to this. Usually uh, companies focus heavily on the content piece without measurement or metric tools to go along with that or the opposite. Companies focus on acquiring the metrics, the tools, the technology to measure something, but without the content. So, you know, if it's a software company that's trying to measure some sort of score or happiness score, uh, what's, what happens after that? You know, what, then what? How do I increase my score? Or, or to what I said earlier, you know, you have a, a company that has great facilitators coming in and, and getting the morale up within their teams or building their professionals become more compassionate leaders, but there is no measurement tool off the back of that to measure the effectiveness. So I think that 
there, there really is a need in the industry to have both, both the content and the tools to measure the effectiveness of that content and what it's doing to your teams. I, I love that point, Bobby. I think it's, you know, when I look at as a, as a head of HR for, for a, a technology company here in New York, I'm looking at these tools and these tools, you know, we had um, actually one of our previous guests was Maya Carmelli, who is uh, CEO and co-founder of this, this tool called Cali. And what it did is it, it pulls all this information. It sends out pulse surveys. And so, the, you know, it's great to be able to get all this information out of the organization that really exists. It's not sort of made up or survey data, but really information that that's coming from the, the behaviors of the company but there's always this challenge of, right, what do I do with this, right? What do I do with this information? So you're, you're absolutely spot on. It's one of those areas that either the content is great, but I don't have the measurement, or the measurement is there, and I have the measurement, but I don't necessarily have the content or know what to do with this information. Um, and so what, you know, right now, leadership training, I mean, do you think it does a good job, you know, about allowing the, the, the habitual part of, of learning, like, the one thing I always say is you know, I feel like leaders, you know, I've set up these conferences or these offsites and, and again, we would have the PowerPoint and then of course the leave behind. And I remember one point in, in one of my roles, I walked into the office of one of the leaders and if, you know, the, 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 the handoff, the handout that the, the training was, was sitting on his shelf and it literally like had an inch of dust on it. <laughs> he had not touched it at all. Right. Uh, it didn't move from his his shelf. So, like, what's a good way of really establishing the new habits from from your point of view? So it's Roger here. So I think about establishing the new habit is, you know, play is fascinating because it, it's really as Dr. Brown speaks of, who writes extensively on play. It's nature's greatest tool for reconciling cognitive difficulties and creating new neural networks, right? The ability to find the unusual and the usual and spark curiosity, alert observation, all happen when we're in a state of play. Problems and dilemmas kind of filter through the unconscious mind so we come back to work not only energized but with fresh ideas for work. I think a way to get rid of the dust off of that book is actually bringing people together to have a collaborative learning experience and we have found 100% of the time that when people engage with the work that we're doing, something shifts in them and they want more of it. The work works on such, could you imagine if you got a PowerPoint presentation today, Anthony, and was like, let's, you got to come to this empathy workshop, you know, next Friday, people would just roll their eyes. But when people come together and are playing it actually engages them, you know, in a completely holistic way. And, you know, I'm steeped in learning science. And, you know, there's two things I always talk about. You know, the first is any new learning requires a considerable amount of practice and meaningful connections to other information in order to become a permanent part of memory. And the other thing is that the single most important variable in promoting any long-term retention and transfer of skills is something called retrieval practice, which means you just can't read this. You can't do this once and then put it on a book and that's it. Goodbye. I got it. Right. We have to revisit these experiences in order to actually regroup the brain to have the new pathway to have that be the habit. 
Right so on. quick question, um, quick, quick question on, on, on all of this, right? So if you look at the recent research and studies out there now, you know, there's a lot of uh, people pointing to the fact that leadership needs more required EQ than IQ, right? There's still, obviously, you need to know your shit, obviously. But the right. more and more we get into the advancement into the future, there's definitely all of a sudden now we're talking about EQ. And in fact, you know, between you and I, the HR people knew this forever, right? Like we knew that leadership needed more, more EQ. Leaders need to be more empathetic. Um, but I, I feel like companies and CEOs and senior leaders and C-suite folks are now coming to it. There's a lot of research now backing it. Um, would you say there's a direct connection between culture, a corporate culture, and, and leadership and, and development and learning? Do you, do you see a, a connection there? Yeah, totally. So I, I want to, uh, this is Bobby here. I, I want to speak to the point around the commoditization of technical skills and the emergence of emotional intelligence and EQ. Uh, you know, it's been around for a while, right? You and I, have, are, I would say we're, we're quite emotionally intelligent based on the walk that we had in uh, Washington Square Park. Uh, very quickly, we, we understood that. But, um, you know, we have uh, a tectonic shift right now that's happening uh, in, and it's a generational shift. We're having younger generations coming into the workforce who have these technical skills and who can very much do the rudimentary task, but really honestly have difficulties connecting with other people and other generations. And that's important. Uh, and you know, that affects productivity, that affects profitability, and that needs to change. And now, yeah, you're right. Organizations are starting to wake up to that. And even in the education sector, you're starting to see that demand from the students. So it's, it's happening and it's going to happen quick. Uh, and uh, you know, these are things that even some of the biggest CEOs and founders in, on the planet, uh, you know, Jack Ma is a big believer in, uh, in EQ and a big believer in what we call LQ, the love quotient, uh, because the, the people skills are extremely important down the line as uh, technology continues to grow. So let's talk so about this whole idea of culture. Uh, and you know, culture is funny because you still find companies today uh, with open seating, with ping pong tables, with beer at five o'clock. That's, that's not changing the culture. That was the case in 2010, 2009, when that just started happening. People are still trying to do that to shift the culture. Today needs to be different. Today, you need to be offering the tools and the knowledge and the personal professional development for your employees so that they stay committed to your brand and as an employee. And so that turnover rates are lower. Roger, do you want to talk so about I, um, how, LinkedIn? And let me, let, me, let me dive in here just a little bit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and so I, you know, for me, it's easy. Yes, I get it. I understand it. I'm now, let's say, a CEO of a company, and I sort of have traditional view on these things. How are you approaching folks that don't, you know, when they think of play? And I'll give you a perfect example, and, and we'll get into what PlayRx is doing. And I, I was going to do a segue with this. But um, if you read, so Dan Lyons is an author. He wrote uh, a couple of different books about the startup world, uh, most recently Lab Rats, right? And I love looking, you know, the shows about contrarian viewpoints. And so the entire world is looking at, you know, this is the right way to do things. And he has literally a chapter where he completely shits on, literally, no, not literally, 
Uh, yes, literally. <laughs> Maybe it's figuratively. See, this is middle class kid from New York not knowing the, the English uh, very well. Um, and, and there's my shout out to, to Maya who asked me to say that every episode. Um, so he he's he's basically saying the Lego thing. What what the hell is going on with companies? So when you guys think of that, what what's different about your approach to this? How did uh, what is PlayRx? What are you guys doing? What's your Where'd you come from and, and why are you different than say, you know, what Lego and what these other startups are doing, or maybe it's the same and you just don't agree with, with Dan's perspective on it. All right, Roger here. I guess I'll, I'll start out with a little bit of an origin story and then I'm going to segue into what separates us from uh, the literal and metaphorical shit that you just took. Um, so, my background is in my undergraduate work is in mathematics and theater. And then in 2008, I earned my master's in acting. And I don't know if you can recall what an incredible year 2008 was to have a master's <laughs> in anything, but it definitely wasn't well, a good I, year to have a master's can, in can acting. Can we pause one second and talk about mathematics and theater? Like where, like, was it mom and dad? Was it left brain, right? Like what was happening? Like very rare to see two of those. But by the way, if you subscribe to Steve Jobs' theory of the intersection of you know liberal arts and science, you're you're a perfect match for it. But t- talk to me a little bit about your background. Like, what? How did how did you wind up in in both of those? So I love the structure of mathematics. I find it's a really cool puzzle. I love the deductive nature of it as well. And the thing that I find about mathematics and theater is they're actually both expansive. Once you reach higher levels of mathematics, you know, like in classical algebra, one plus one is zero. So you really have to let your mind go. And the similar thing is in theater as well. You have to let your mind go. The other thing that I want to talk about is with play. Like Bobby and I with Player Rex are never telling people, just be a right brain person only use your right brain. That's not true. Play is designed to activate synergist, like these functionally diverse regions of the brain to synergistically integrate their function. So we're bringing the left and right brain together. So it makes perfect sense for me uh, to have mathematics and theater and then to wind up in play. (laughs) Does that help? It did. No, that's, that's perfect. I wasn't sure exactly how that, that came about. So that, that's awesome. So, so tell me, you know, you, you talked about, um, tell me about PlayRx. How did this, how did you guys come together? Obviously, you know, somewhat similar in your viewpoints, but different backgrounds. Um, and Bobby, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you've done. I know you've done a lot of work, particularly in the, the AR, VR space uh, most recently, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and then talk about how you guys came together. Yeah, you got it. I'll finish up here with uh, my background until Bobby and I joined forces. In that 2008 incredible year, um, I called a friend of mine who taught at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford, and I said, I have an idea. I'd like to come out there and teach the development of emotional intelligence, soft skills, and using play-based experiential learning to do it. Uh, And he was like, you know, great, you know, if it works, come back. And if it doesn't work, you know, don't come back and don't tell anybody that I let you try it out at Stanford. So uh, it worked for almost six years. I flew back and forth to Stanford as a recurring guest lecturer. And I taught play-based learning for to develop EQ, the highest rated workshop amongst the students at the GSB. Started doing some work at uh, the D school, which is the design school over there. Uh, word got out, uh, started doing some work within the tech world using play uh, within um, in the design world. 
I uh, did some work with the World Bank, uh, and then I did some work here at Stern, and then Parsons at the New School about seven years ago uh, asked me if I can uh, develop a course to teach empathy using experiential learning at both the graduate, undergraduate, and global executive level. Last year, I did a workshop here in New York for a bunch of entrepreneurs who have had some success within their sectors. Uh, and I guess I'm going to put an ellipse at the end of the sentence here, because this is where I actually met Bobby and the two of us came together. Yeah. Yeah. So we came together through the work. And so my background is in the immersive and emerging technology space. Uh, I've worked for, for large corporations uh, for about three, four years and then decided to d jump into startups. Uh, I failed a couple of my first startups. Uh, miserably, uh, learned a lot from those failures, and it wasn't until the third one uh, where we had success, and that was in the VR and AR world uh, through Sprawly, where there was an acquisition uh, by Digital Domain, which is a big VFX company in Hollywood. So my background being in immersive and emerging tech, I, I come into this workshop thinking, first of all, I came in with a lot of contempt. Uh, you know, I, I got an email from this uh, group that I belong to here in New York. Uh, of entrepreneurs and they're like, hey, there's a play workshop. It's a Thursday afternoon. And I was like, fuck it, I guess I'll go. But yeah. also what the fuck is this? <laughs> what am I gonna be doing for two hours? Um, and I'll tell you what, uh, I, I, Anthony, I, I, I've done a lot of uh, leadership development in the past. And within the first 10, 15 minutes, I felt, I felt this work really impacted me. And uh, a little, just to be a little vulnerable here, I grew up with dyslexia. And I am still pretty dyslexic. Uh, and when, you know, I needed to escape my mind, I would play. I'd play games. Uh, and, you know, these aren't Legos. These are, these are games. These are going outside. These are playing with friends. This is making sure that my imagination is running wild. And I have to be honest, for me, going through the workshop and playing uh, and being facilitated, this being facilitated by Roger, I felt like I was a kid again. And all of a sudden, my mind started firing in interesting directions where I thought, you know what, this is the very work that every organization needs, corporations, large and small, and even in the education sector, because we're losing this, this aspect of play. And, um, and it needs to be fun. And this was. And uh, so I came up to Roger after the workshop and I said, listen, man, we need to build something here. We need to create an experiential learning platform that is scalable, this is, that's measurable, and that's impactful. And so that's what PlayRx is. It's an experiential learning platform. It's collaborative. Today, we do this through workshops, uh, you know, two-hour workshops with 10 to 16 people in a, in a cohort. And in the long run, uh, we will be integrating mixed reality technology into our content and into our workflow so that we can best scale the methodology and bring it to anyone looking to bring play into their organizations, meet people where they are, where they are on their devices, and really hope to be this 21st century Mr. Rogers, pretty much, right? <laughs> uh, we need that in the world today. We need it in the adults need it in the organizations that they're in, and that has a strong trickle-down effect that we find through our work at home with adults who, you know, have kids. And this is Roger I, I, here. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Roger. Yeah, this is, you know, the, the workshops that we do that are in-house, uh, 
each workshop is two hours, but we have different tracks with multiple workshops within each track. And there's a creativity, innovation, and divergent thinking track, a diversity, equity, inclusion track, and a sales and development track. We also have a course, which is blended learning. It's a two-day uh, in-person live experience and then five weeks of um, synchronous learning. And that's called compassionate leadership through uh, play, uh, which we've, we're getting uh, really uh, great feedback uh, on that. And about two months ago, Fast Company awarded us a world-changing idea uh, for 2019 in education, which was really cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I love, you know, it, it's something in the universe put you two together, right? Like you're, you get this oh, email God, yeah. from your entrepreneur. Um, so the universe is telling you something and, and, and I think it was spot on. So, so how do you envision, so I have two questions, twofold. First question is back to my Dan Lyons comment, which is like, you know, how are you different than when people think of play and Legos. Talk a little bit more about that and the impact of the work that you're doing there. And then I'd love to, I'd love for Bobby, either one of you, to sort of talk about this idea of mixed reality and how it's going to. How, what's your vision there? Obviously, to the two, to the point where you don't have to disclose any IP or proprietary information about it, but sort of what your thoughts are, because there's a lot of buzz, you know, we got the Oculus Rift and all these different things happening in, in, VR, in AR and, v, and VR. And then of course with AR and with HoloLens, like it seems to be a very hyped world. Um, and so part A, you know, how are you different from Dan Lyons and what he's talking about in his book and, and what's the future look like in this combined world of play and, and, and mixed reality? Yeah, so, you know, Roger here, you know, uh, so we're not Lego. Uh, we don't bring any Legos with us. It'd be cool if we were, though. I'll tell you, we, yeah. we'd be in, uh, we wouldn't be in the East Village, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> right. We love Lego, but we're not bringing any Legos in to learn. And, you know, not to, you know, poo-poo on what they're doing with serious play. I think there's a lot of validity to that. Our work is really about bringing humans together to explore ambiguity and uncertainty together to actually experience what it's like to be in the moment where you don't know what, what is about to happen. And suddenly in a collaborative learning environment, you start to have vulnerability, risk-taking, empathy, resilience, and the games develop in complexity over time. Uh, you know, we have this one game that's called uh, Banquet. And, you know, just to give an example of something that may get done within a workshop, it is, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, it's one of our first games that we do. People walk around the room and in a nutshell, you introduce yourself to each other. You keep exchanging names. When you get your name back, you're finally out. It is a shit show. Within seconds, the whole system falls apart. It's the simplest thing ever. But most people have an experience of going, oh my God, I am completely unpresent. I'm totally disconnected. I'm only concerned with the information that I'm getting versus even giving the other person anything or setting them up for success. The listening is completely gone. Also, there's all this background noise that's actually hijacking our attention from the task at hand. And that has something to do with a cognitive network called the salience network. So we're bringing people together with on their feet experiences, you know, no cartwheels, anyone can do this stuff. 
to um, explore real kind of um, playful, ambiguous experiences. Yeah, yeah. And to, and, to and, add to and, that a little, a little bit, if I and, may, you know, it's, sure. it's understanding your habits, right? What type of habits come about when you do play? And the thing we always say is how you do one thing is how you do everything. And through play, every individual notices that, oh, shit, I actually just shook your hand, got your name, but I completely forgot that name 10 seconds later. What is that saying about me showing up, me paying attention, right? And I think that's really where the learning happens when it's that self-reflection of, oh, that aha moment and that, that oh, wow, okay, I need, I need to do something differently next time. Uh, 100% of the time, it's effective. And we hear in the, in the workshops, which is pretty hilarious, you know, someone will do something that's maybe not be the best choice in order to, quote, unquote, succeed at that game. So, you know, I'll point out, maybe not do that next time. And then they keep doing it. And it's funny. They say, <laughs> you've asked me not to do that. I know consciously not to do that. And yet I can't stop doing the very thing that you asked me not to do. He's like, where else might I be doing that? Mind-boggling. Right. It's fascinating. It's it's mind-boggling, right? Like you see these people, they just all of a sudden in their eyes light up and say, look, I I keep doing this. It's funny, like they're – in my experience, so there was a CEO at Razorfish I used to work for. He actually is uh, just appointed CEO of, at Huge, the agency, I, I believe they're in Brooklyn, uh, Pete Stein. And he was amazing at remembering names, by the way, like awesome. Like I, I met him in orientation for about an hour. He spoke, he introduced himself, got everybody's name, but he made a conscious effort. Like it still remains to me with me today that he just remembered the, not only my name, but my wife's name and my kid's name when we were in, it was just fascinating. So it, I, I could see how a game like that um, could really open up the door for people. So now how do you, and maybe this is a bad example, but you know, how do you take something like that and, and bring in sort of the VR, AR mixed reality? Yeah. Like how, how are you, how are you envisioning something like that being pulled into that world? Sure. Sure. So, uh, so first I got to say, I'm really excited where the special computing and immersive tech, sector is right now and where it's heading. I really do think that, well, let's talk about virtual reality. You know, the Oculus Quest coming out, you know, six degrees of freedom. We really have this iPod moment in VR. Yes, it's still early. Uh, We're about what I would say where the mobile device was 15 years ago, but it's exciting because now we're meeting consumers at home. We're, We're now also going to be lowering the prices of hardware of this VR headsets. You're going to see that in the future, like any hardware. And now the capabilities of interacting with content is increasing. So, uh, you know, from, from a VR perspective, it's super exciting. Uh, from an AR uh, mixed reality side of things, it's the, the excitement is, is, is equal. It's not matched. It's one billion devices out there today have AR capabilities. That's massive. And what we're seeing today is larger organizations are integrating augmented reality experiences in their technology, in their applications, and allowing the user to develop the habits of being comfortable with augmented and mixed reality. Google Maps, for example, just released an augmented overlay of their Maps product for Android devices on their Pixel. I mean, that's huge, right? You're seeing gaming taking it another step further. We saw Pokemon Go a couple years ago really release a wonderful product, and they're going to do that 
uh, even more so with what yep. they have and even uh, moving the recently the they have Minecraft Earth. Right. right. Minecraft Earth is another one right. coming out. I know my I have I have kids, so they're um, they keep me on top of these things. Right, exactly. And so, you know, it's happening, whether people like it or not, it is the next computing platform and it's only going to get better. And so, okay, where does PlayRx fit and how are you going to be doing one of these experiences using mixed reality? Here's the thing. What we've learned, what I've learned also through being in the industry is that the VR and AR world is great for showing directions for certain things. It's great as a learning tool because your retention of information is a lot higher in that medium than a traditional 2D screen. I mean, that's so much so the case with VR because you have something strapped to your face, right? That's also the case with yeah. augmented reality where you're interacting with the content. Your peripherals aren't taking, uh, taking notice of what's around you because you're interacting with what's in front of you. And that's what we hope to be. We hope to be taking this methodology from an instruction, an instructional facilitation point of view and giving it out to organizational leaders to allow them to play these games in-house. So the, the, the many games that we have in our methodology, which is over 50, we're going to be using motion capture and allowing individuals to use their phones to see what these games are like and to ingest the learning moments. Uh, so, you know, it's taking it from an online perspective, but then doing the games offline. So we're, we're providing people with the tools in order to do so. And that's the best scalable way that we find uh, um, we can match this with our work. And embedded with that, with those directions for them to actually see, actually understand what's the neuroscience that's yeah. going on here. What's the learning science that's going on here? What are the key learning moments to watch for during this game? How do you guide the debrief for some um, optimum verbal processing for the learner to have a shift in behavior? So all of that will be given along with the directions as well. I love that. I mean, it, it's, you know, th this idea and, and, and Josh Burson who, is, has been a thought leader in, in HR for quite a while, has this idea of HR in the flow of work or learning in the flow of work, right? So this idea of what you're talking about, like having that opportunity to say, in this moment, this, this play, this, this sequence of, of events that you're about to do, this is how it changes the dynamics of this, this, and this, and the neuroscience. I mean, to me, that's powerful because people are always going to go, is this bullshit or not? And it, you know, totally. it's you're providing the science along with the experience, it's super, super powerful. So now, now when I think of PlayRx right now, what is it that you offer today? So if people um, wanted to reach out to, to either one of you, what are you offering today? And then what does that look like in the next 12 months? And then, you know, third question is, how the heck do people reach out to you and, and get to you if they're interested in some of this stuff? Yeah, you got it. This is going to be a, a Roger and Bobby question. So Roger's going to start out. The first thing I want to say is what we really want to shift is we want to have people kind of stop saying, you know, this is your work day and then play is over here and that they're two separate things. Actually, play is, is the work. The work is play. It's all occurring within the work day because play is what's setting us up in order for the work to happen. So I don't want people to think, oh, we got to stop playing and we got to stop working and do this event. It should be embedded within the culture. Uh, in terms of today, 
what we're offering is we have trained um, a series of facilitators uh, who have gone through um, an intense uh, learning process, both experiential and also uh, reading and studying, uh, to go out and meet the demand from organizations. Uh, it is uh, in-house. We have custom-made uh, curriculums. Uh, what we also have, as I mentioned before, the tracks of the creativity, innovation, divergent thinking, diversity, equity, inclusion, and sales and development. Within each track, there's five separate workshops. We're also offering our compassionate leadership through play course. And that will be, that is uh, one, a two-day intensive of people coming together no matter where they are. And we have found success there both within one organization coming and sending their leaders and also separate organizations coming together and collaborating with people that they don't know. The rest of that is five weeks of um, online learning. Uh, and then I'll let Bobby finish out the question here. And so what's going to be different in 12 months? Well, in 12 months, you know, our services component will not change. Uh, we obviously think that that's a great way for uh, us to, to, to obviously do business development and to ex expand the brand. Uh, there's going to be a lot of content development. I think, um, you know, so much of our work is being compared to Brene Brown and her mission. And we're seen as this pop-up book of Brene Brown's uh, work, in a sense, uh, what she talked about, and um, an experiential way of doing so. And so really building those mixed reality tools uh, into the mix so that we can provide organizational leaders with those tools to do that themselves without the need for our facilitators to go out there and meet that demand um, to make it completely scalable. And for us to enter markets that, um, that make it difficult for us to go into. I mean, you look at the Asia market, uh, I think uh, in addition to that, what's so great about these mixed reality tools that we want to be building is that they allow you to share uh, your knowledge and share PlayRx with, teams that are dispersed in different parts of the world. So if you have uh, a manager in New York and they have 16 people on their team and they go through the, the work, they do some games before they start meetings or before they do design sprints, you know, there can be someone in Los Angeles within the same organization doing that work as well, uh, which makes it much more scalable rather than us sending out facilitators to both cities. Sure. Absolutely. Very cool. So I understand today, we're talking about in-house, customized, uh, play-centric uh, conversations and, and learnings. And then, of course, there are, you know, different variations of that, whether it's a two-day or online. Um, and then, of course, the future is thinking about the, the convergence of VR, AR, uh, mixed reality into this entire scenario, and then building that into literally into the flow of work. I love it. So um, uh, yeah. before we, we jump off here, um, two questions. One, um, and I, it was one from before, where do people find you guys? How do they get in touch with you if they're interested? And then if they're interested, how would you, and very briefly, we got about a minute, um, uh, give them the tools they need to pitch this to a CEO that maybe is, you know, traditional and, and doesn't see play, sees play more as a fluffy thing than a, than a business need. Yeah. So, Roger here, the first thing to get in touch with us is, you know, to go to our site at um, play-rx.com. 
that's the best way to get in touch with us right now as well, too. And, you know, a great way to put, uh, to pitch this to a CEO is like, you know, you talked about, you know, the, the Gallup poll in the beginning, you know, that, you know, that in, they had the most recent Gallup poll over three years was, you know, like 85% of people are like sleepwalking or hate their job. You know, it's a great place to bring play in because it was developed uh, at Stanford. Uh, it has a fast company award uh, behind it. And the team uh, has such diverse backgrounds approaching developing emotional intelligence uh, in such a novel way. And we believe that emotional intelligence will be the single most important trade from here moving forward as we continue to commoditize these technical skills. And in a way, we all want to shift culture. Let's start by shifting culture with play and create a movement of compassion, generosity, vulnerability, empathy, and innovation. I love it. And we're, we're going to leave it at there. Find these guys at, at play-rx.com. Roger, thank you so much. Bobby, thank you so much. It's been great having you guys on and calling bullshit on leadership training. Really excited. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you, man. Really appreciate you extending the invitation to us. Of course. And by the way, everyone, for our audience, our next BS conversation is going to be about performance reviews. So we're going to call bullshit on performance reviews. See you soon. Thanks, everyone. Ciao. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.